Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive into classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Payoff. Welcome to a spooky edition of The Payoff. This is Tom Healy, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, Halloween Havoc. How scared are you to cover today's match? Uh, not nearly as scary what's going on in the real world. So, uh, you know, why not? Things are crazy out there. So might as well get a little crazy with our timeline and throw in a Halloween Havoc episode. So uh, this should be a good one, though. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Well, and quick reminder, as always, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Payoff Pod. That's at Payoff Pod. You engaging with us on social media helps us spread the word. So we certainly appreciate that. Jeff. I'm going to kick it to you first, man. Why do you want to cover this match? Yeah, we. Um, I've been saying it over the last couple of weeks that we've been doing some research into some WCW matches. We're just trying to cover some different things. This is one, though, that when I started doing my research for just kind of like which WCW matches we should do, and the only one we've done so far would have been uh, Brian Pillman and, and Jushin Thunder Liger. We'll talk about that one. I got you know some comparisons with this match, but um, it was one of those where almost every list I was kind of reviewing and just kind of looking over, you know, just different websites and blogs and you know, what was one of the best matches of WCW? This was either at the top or top three on almost every single one. And so yeah, kind of looking at what we wanted to do here and there, it's very interesting, you know, we'll talk about it, like what the main events were at this time and kind of things that were happening that this match really flew under the radar for a long, like, you know, where it was on the card and things like that. So I'm just, you know, one, I'm excited to talk about something a little bit different, a lot, you know, a little bit of high flying here, some craziness that we're going to see. And so uh, I'm just excited to, you know, talk about something a little bit different and, uh, you know, really everything we can find and kind of research shows like it's one of the best ones that there is. Yeah. I echo all that. Um, one of the top WCW matches of all time, there's a ton of stuff going on in the business, which we'll obviously cover, um, you know, two first ballot hall of famers. Uh, it's they're positioned in a much different place than many of you probably remember them. Uh, and it's, it's just a, by all indications going to be a great match. I, I know I've seen highlights pop up over the years. I may have at one point watched this thing through, but it's been a long time. So I'm excited to react to it in real time and, uh, and take a look at it. So this will be a fun one. Uh, it's great to get back to covering some WCW and uh, with that, Jeff, let's jump right into the build. Oh, it's time for the build. So as we said, Halloween Havoc, 1997. Man, I, I used to love these Halloween Havoc sets and theme. And it was just cool, man. It was just something different. I, I don't... I actually don't think it was like too hokey or campy. I just thought it was cool. Like I liked the, the idea of the theme and uh, as a lot of WCW did at the time, this would take place in Vegas at the MGM 
Garden Arena. Uh, as most of you current fans know, this is where uh, AEW's run some shows. In fact, uh, I recently went to the, uh, I guess that was Double or Nothing in this venue. I'd you know, been in Vegas a bunch of times, but never been in that building before. Really cool spot to watch, a, uh, watch a, an event. It, it's one of those kind of throwback venues in the sense of it's just people. So there's not a bunch of suites and big concourses like these new NBA arenas, uh, but it's, it's got a little bit of an old school feel where it fits a few less people in there. But, you know, it, it's a much better place to watch really anything, but especially a, a wrestling show. So Halloween Havoc 97 taking place in Vegas. I'll, I'll quickly run through the card. There's some interesting stuff here. Um, Eugene Nagata defeating Ultimo Dragon by submission to kick us off 10 minute match. Um, I actually would have expected that the match we're covering would have been that first kind of cruiserweight match, but no, they, they had a couple of them. Uh, the second match being uh, Chris Jericho defeating Gato, uh, seven minute match. So again, two cruiserweight matches. And then the third match we're going to cover here, another cruiserweight match. Uh, Mysterio and Guerrero, that would be, uh, as we're going to talk about, a title versus mass match. And Jeff will talk about how we got there. Um, then we followed up with Alex Wright defeating Steve McMichael. Um, yeah, great, right? Uh, Jacqueline defeating Disco Inferno. <laughs> um, and and, and again, apparently that was supposed to be Disco Inferno versus Goldberg. Um, but then Alex Wright attacked Goldberg on the way there. Goldberg gives him the jackhammer, uh, gives Disco the jackhammer. Mongo comes to the ring, blah, blah, blah. Um, all kinds of goofy stuff happening there. So anyways, um, we then get uh, Jacqueline, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kurt Henning defeating Ric Flair by DQ. Um, hmm, interesting, right? So can't get a straight finish there. Apparently there was some behind the scenes stuff as to who was going over. Uh, then Luger defeating Scott Hall with Larry Sabisco's special guest referee. Um, Randy Savage defeating DDP. Uh, 18 minute match. I, I believe this may have won feud of the year. I don't remember a lot from it, but I know a lot of people really hold that feud in high regard. And then the main event of the show, Roddy Piper defeating Hollywood Hogan by submission in a steel cage match, big screwball finish in that one, but the title wasn't on the line. So some interesting stuff there. You know, the, the main event was, you know, really built around Piper always wanting to uh, fight Hogan one-on-one, -on -one, which was actually really cool. I remember Piper coming back, uh, place went nuts, big surprise, and then they, they aired this really good video, and maybe we'll cover this match at some point, or, or at least the build to that. It, it was really interesting, but they, they had this... WCW made this killer video of Piper always wanting to have a one-on-one -on -one match with Hogan, um, Really, really cool. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, but then the match, you know, just real goofy, uh, weird finish. Savage gets involved. Um, they, they quickly moved on to obviously Sting Hogan after this because that was coming up in a few months. Uh, you know, Piper wins, but he doesn't get the title. I, just, just odd, right? So, uh, you know, keep in mind all this is happening in, uh, you know, 97, the backdrop being that Bret Hart's going to be coming into WCW soon. The market's uh, great for wrestling at this point. So everyone's shattering records. Um, 
<laughs> Interestingly enough, I found in my research, Todd Pettengill was interviewing with WCW. He's making 300 grand a year in the WWF, man. God bless him, right? We're in the wrong field, man. Seriously. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, and a guy like Todd Pettengill, who I don't even know if he's a wrestling fan, but he's just a, a New York radio guy and he's still doing his radio show um, at the time. But then also... WWF host. So I'm thinking, man, if WCW brought him in, I think he could have been like a great heel uh, in the NWO. Just super. I mean, can you imagine Todd Pettengill just being like over the top goofy, but doing it as a heel with like an NWO shirt? And I actually think in a lot of ways he could have done as good or maybe even better in that role than Bischoff did. I don't know. I, I just think he could have been really a good piece of that. But um, anyways, you know, and again, Goldberg's like involved in WCW this time does not have a match on this show, but you know, uh, Keller would compare him to Ken Shamrock saying, you know, Ken Shamrock actually is a legitimate badass. Uh, Goldberg's not, but he kind of has this like UFC shoot fighting gimmick to him. I got to tell you, man, and I've mentioned this before, I just feel like they missed the boat with Shamrock. And and he did a good job with him. Don't get me wrong. He had some good matches, good moments. But to bring him in as like a legitimate, like badass, dangerous heel, I'm almost thinking more of like a Brock Lesnar now type thing. God, and you give him the right mouthpiece, I think he would have been out of this world uh, phenomenal and, and definitely a world champion at this stage. I mean, you know, you build him up and, and maybe eventually like a guy like him and Steve Austin have a feud. Oh, I think it could have been great. So that's all I got. A lot going on, like we said. A lot we're going to talk about during the match. Uh, Storyline-wise, Jeff, how do we get to this uh, match? Before I get there, this was into when you say Goldberg, people got to remember this was a date like an early Goldberg. He had oh, just yeah. debuted in '97, so he was not the 180 and 0 or whatever the hell it was. Like you know, he was still kind of in his infancy. And you touched on it too, like Bret Hart too. You wonder how much like the 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 crescendo of where the conversations were with Bret Hart. Cause that was about six months oh, right around this time and kind of when that was happening. So, um, a lot of, like you said, a lot of cool things happening, but you know, long before there was a battle over Dominic in, in 2005, um, we had this match was, which was October, 1997. Um, like I said, doing my part to kind of just find some good matches in WCW, kind of bring some different things. It was at the top or, you know, near or at the top or the top of almost every single list. Now, at the time, it was interesting because, like, this 97 period was WCW was pushing, like, really all the NWO people as well as, I'm going to say, older stars. Um, it Like, a match like this was not about to be the main event, which is weird considering, like, the, the, the in-ring product that we were getting. And so just to kind of give everybody an idea of, like, the matches we were getting as the main event. And even when I did my research and was looking at this, I was like wow like i didn't realize just how many like non little guy main events we got and so even going a few months back so in june great american bash you had ddp and randy savage july bash at the beach you had dennis rodman and hollywood hogan versus lex luger and giant you know of course one of which is great now because that's completely <laughs> topical given you know this whole uh 30 right. for 30 michael jordan thing yes. rodman just had a third or alfie just had 30 for 30 i just saw the rodman one recently and it's yeah. like it's just crazy 
crazy that this is, it, it actually is a pretty important part of that whole, uh, you know, Bulls thing is like Rodman being in WCW and then eventually right, yeah. they get to, um, you know, Carl uh, uh, Malone and just crazy shit that a, a 97 wrestling angle all of a sudden is relevant in sports in 2020 and it's what people are talking about. We will make sure to include that one on our list. And so uh, August uh, Road Wild, you had Lex Luger and Hollywood Hogan, seeing a theme here with Hogan. Um, and then you had September Fall Brawl. It was the Four Horsemen versus the NWO. So you had Benoit, Henning, Flair, and Steve McMichael versus Buff Bagwell. Uh, you know, fan of the show, uh, <laughs> Kevin Nash, Conan, and Six. October Halloween. Well, oh, yeah, and I'll just say, too, is you're rattling off all these, like, Hogan main events. I'm assuming still at this point – know when they brought him in in 94 he was getting a cut of of the revenue dollars off of the pay-per-views so there were main events they wouldn't use him in and i i mean i think they did and i don't remember what the percentage was but it was a percentage and so you know i mean and i don't know if it was above and beyond what they had done the previous year how that worked but the point being is that he was getting just some monster paydays off of these main events as well so and he seems like he's featured in every one you're you're sharing yep so Halloween Havoc, again, like this man, or, you know, this card, uh, you know, we had Hogan and Roddy Piper. Following month, uh, World War III take place, my home state, uh, Palace of Auburn Hills. You had the 60-man World War III match where Scott Hall beat the Giant, but Hogan was 60 in that one. It was a 60-man. And so Hogan came out last on that one. And now, are you, are you a World War III guy, a battle royal, the traditional battle royal guy, or a Royal Rumble guy? Uh, I'm definitely a Royal Rumble guy. Uh, All day, right, man? All day. But for for two reasons. I think like the the traditional battle oil, whether it's 60 men, 30 men, 20 men, whatever – it's, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's almost just so fake, right? Cause you get so many guys punching and stuff, it's just too crowded. And then you miss those big ass entrances, the surprises, which I mean, now it becomes such a staple of, of the event. So, you know, I prefer that. That being said, man, you know what we're due for is a, another gimmick battle Royal. I, I would love one of those, especially if you're going to this two day WrestleMania concept, which my, my money is on you getting two, two nights of WrestleMania here um, in 2021, but I'd love to see it. You know, you don't have to call it a gimmick battle Royal, but a legends battle Royal and just bring in some of the, I, I, I dig that man. But again, off topic, but I think we're both in a great oil rumble. And, um, you know, having that, and I, I like the war games concept too, especially like the newer one. I think it's going to be a little bit spotty at some points, but you know, that's and, and AEW was going to do a war games. Right. And I guess they're still yep. going to, at some point. Okay. Yeah. So, and then uh, again, and then you had Starcade, Holy, or Hollywood, Hollywood, Hogan, and Sting. So, really, between seven pay per views, you had wow. a main eventing five of them. Um, and I, I was going to keep going, but I decided to stop because, yeah, that's just, but that was the nature of it. And so, I wanted you to understand like what the, you know, the, the booking was and kind of what was happening. So, I, I kind of jump. I would say the closest to a non-big man main event was Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Wow, I can't talk today. Bret Hart and Benoit in November of '99. This was October of '97. Wow. Yeah, so at least two years, you know, where you just didn't have someone that was an NWR, I say, like an older star. Like, they were not putting young guys over, which is funny looking at that now. So, But, I mean, but, but at the same time, I mean, considering they're kicking, you know, Vince's ass, I mean, you could make the argument that keep works. going with what works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've exactly. got, I mean, you, you had this group of 
gosh, 10 or maybe even more big ass established stars. Plus you brought in Piper, you brought in warrior, you know, yep. you had national hall, you had DDP who's becoming a star and Savage really got him over the top. You had Savage floating around. Um, I mean, you just had so many of these guys. So it wasn't hard. I mean, that's the thing I, I'll give them this is, is you go through, you're getting a variety of things, right? I mean, like Luger Hogan was a pretty good match and, you know, they had exchanged the title. Um, you know, I mean, Savage, DDP, uh, you know, four horsemen were obviously still over flair. You bring in Piper sting, you know, wrestling, for his first match and it felt like forever. So they were giving you fresh main events. They were moving these guys around. And again, you know, you've heard me say this before, but this is when you had to get 30 or 35 bucks out of someone every 30 days. So you had, it mattered more, right? You couldn't just go, okay, well, you know, you're getting these two guys for the third straight month. Now it's like with the network, yeah, whatever, or AEW running quarterly shows. So it's easy to, you know, mix and match. But when you were running 12 main events a year, you had to come up with essentially 12 different attractions. And again, this is a great sample size of, you know, you bring in Rodman, you swap out some different matchups for Hogan. You got the world war. You did the four on four. Um, yeah, so it, they, they did a good job. I mean, you can see why people were like tuning in every week because you had, you know, four Nitros, big show, four Nitros, brand new show. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, okay, you're getting Hogan and Luger in a regular match, then a Falls Count Anywhere match, then a Hell in a Cell match, then we move on to the next thing. So, yeah, I mean, they the longevity obviously wasn't there, right? I mean, they had a, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but call it a two year run where they just, you know, kicked ass and, and were great. I mean, obviously they won the, the Monday night war for 83 weeks, but you know, for a year and a half, two years, they, they did really great stuff. They obviously weren't able to continue that. So, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, they didn't make new stars. They didn't, you know, bring new people through. They couldn't sustain the storylines, but they did a good job for, you know, 18 or 24 months of different attractions to give you fresh stuff. So, you know, it's easy to look back and critique, but in the moment they were, they were doing new stuff. You know, they brought in Piper, they brought in uh, warrior, they, and not all this stuff worked, but I'm just saying you paid for it, whether you liked it or not, it's a different story, but you elevated page, you did the NWO stuff, you had Rodman, you, um, you know, you, you did a lot, right? The sting build, these are all different attractions. Then you're bringing in Bret Hart. And again, not that it was all booked well, but you can't argue in this time frame that WCW did it every 30 days, give you something else that piqued your interest and you'd be at least somewhat likely to grab five of your buddies and throw in, you know, 10 bucks a piece for a pay-per-view and pizza. Agreed? Absolutely. Do you remember, and this is a little trivia uh, for our fans at home Ooh. too, because it's been a while since we've had some trivia. Yeah. C can you name the final main event for the last WCW pay-per-view, which was WCW Greed? Yeah, they switched all their names. It was like Sin, Greed, all these things. God, yes. the last pay-per-view... I'm just... I, I, can't, I can't remember. I'm just going to guess that it was... Sid and Booker T. 
Uh, Booker T was on the card, but no. So Booker T beat Rick Steiner for the heavyweight WCW United States heavyweight championship. But the final match, the main event of that card was Scott Steiner beating Diamond Elledge Page by submission in a false count anywhere for the world heavyweight championship. Okay. And I'll tell you, there was some wacky shit on those final, like, six pay-per-views go back and i mean go back and look at them and you're like oh this is who was there i mean it's just crazy like they were i mean they were just trying anything at that point but there was just some wild scott shit. steiner and i didn't realize just looking at it, scott steiner main evented the final five pay-per-views of wcw scott steiner scott wow steiner. yep i mean i so, know they were pushing them big pop right, it was sin uh in 2001, it was Sin, Super Brawl, Revenge, and Greed. There was also Mayhem. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. They made a video game out of that one. Yeah, but they just got rid of all the stuff. I mean, like, and I know they were trying to mix it up. Again, they were throwing Hail Marys this time, but yeah, they just got rid of, you know, and that's another thing that I, and again, I uh, obviously we're nostalgic. I mean, we're doing a, a wrestling podcast about the past, right? Right, right? But like, why not say, Hey, the October 15th edition of raw is a Halloween havoc theme. Why yeah. not do a King of the ring on SmackDown every June? Why not uh, do a, bash it the beat i mean right like why not theme this stuff and, and i actually think AEW is starting to do some of that stuff I agree. why not why not i mean you, you have 52 raws so say hey one once a year we're going to bring back legends once a year we're going to do a halloween habit once a year we're going to do a slammy's edition i mean you could come up with like even if you gave me 20 themes and one out of every three raws or one out of every, you know, three weeks was a raw or SmackDown something, or maybe you gave them the same theme. I, I don't know, but like something to break it up where I even, um, and I know we're recording this ahead of time, but there was recently a, uh, uh, the, the triple H 25th anniversary. It was just something different. Yeah. Anything, just something where I'm like, okay, I, maybe something interesting will happen, right? Like, and I know you can't do it every single week, but find the anniversaries. Hey, you know what? Hogan's been in the business 40 years. Uh, Triple H's 25th anniversary. Uh, the anniversary of the first time Flair and Steamboat wrestled, bring them both out. I mean, just just something, right? And you can still put over the new stars. You can you still have two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes on Raw for all your other shit, but just something to bring back casual viewers, to be something different and be something interesting. And I really think that would help the current product. I'm not saying 5 million people would tune into raw, but guys like you and I, again, I know we watch it a lot, but it brings us back in, or at least guys like us that are your quote unquote last fan. And you can still put over the new guys. And imagine, like, especially too, we must, like take December off, even if they, and we're, we're, we've realized now after the coronavirus stuff that there's some stipulations in Vince's TV contracts where he has to do so many live shows. Like, he's only allowed so many non-live shows, which is why they were going live for a lot longer, it seems like. But, you know, yeah, bring back, the, you know, have December be Legends Month and do some, like, where you could, it not granted, not it's not going to work for everybody, but do some of these pre-tape matches. You could make some of them look like absolute like you know just the the rock star that they are like hey it's yeah. the even even it's the 25th anniversary of the brett sean iron man match we're gonna bring them both out to raw and then 
gosh, you know what? We're Rollins and Owens, you know, they, they haven't been able to settle their feud. They're going to have a 30 or 60 minute Ironman match on raw. So you bring the lap spans back, you put over your current stars, you create something a little bit different. Why, I mean, why is this that difficult? I mean, well, you look, look at all the bullshit that's, you know, on Raw and SmackDown right now. I mean, come on. Well, and look at, too, like how good, like someone like Jake the Snake and his promos for, you know, Murder Hawk and how well he's doing with It's the stuff. best thing that's on their show. Right. And you like, watch these things. You're like, Mike, you know, because you always think like, hey, do we just do we just romanticize about the past? Do we just say, oh, Jake the Snake was the best promo? Oh, Roddy Piper was just an incredible heel. Oh, Rick Rude was just the man. Like, you know, we say all this stuff. And then part of me is like, you know, are we just these old hacks that are, you know, just saying this stuff because that's what we grew up watching. And then you watch Jake the Snake Roberts in, you know, 2020, you know, the guy's in his 60s. I mean, he's a recovering, you know, drug addict. And you're sitting there watching him on screen and you're like, it's better than anything I've seen all year. I mean, it's incredible. He's recording it in a dark hotel room. Like in, in front of like a smoke machine, like it, it doesn't really get any better than that. So. And, how, how, and how is he, and how are his promos by far the best talking on any wrestling show right now? How's that possible? That's how good the guy is, you know? So you, you look at this stuff and, you know, again, it, it's, it's not that sometimes it's not that we say the past performers, the past way of letting these guys just you know, be their own character and find it on their own. It's not that we're saying that because we're older and we grew up on it. It's because it's the damn truth. So get us back online, Jeff. But yes. I think this was a, a good side topic. Good little tangent. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got all these main events kind of showing, you know, demonstrating just what was it. There was still a lot of big, I say, undercard names in WCW that are people that nowadays, like, you know, just doing incredible things. So you had Eddie Guerrero. You had Dean Malenko. You had Rey Mysterio. You had Chris Jericho. You had the Ultimo, or, um, Ultimo Dragon. You had Six, X-Pac, like, who, you know, who he was, you know, all that type of stuff. You had Juventud Guerrero. Um, you, had all, you had Billy Kidman. You had these guys that were, like, at the time – while they were undercard, quote unquote, they weren't wrestling like undercarders. They were wrestling like main events. And these guys were in their prime, putting on some of the best matches that we had ever really seen. So Guerrero, though, at this time, he right, had one more thing I'll just say is oh, yeah. you're right. Not only matches we hadn't seen, but just so much different. I mean, mm-hmm. it, th- think about it this way too. Like, your main eventers, okay, your your Reigns's, your Rollins, your Jericho's, whoever, they're all doing dives, okay? But in, you know, this time period, I mean, the, the stuff that some of these guys were doing, you hadn't really seen it before, and it was such a stark contrast to Hogan and Luger, Savage and DDP. So it just stuck out like a sore thumb in a really good way. I mean, it was, it, you know... A lot of times, and I've heard Bruce Pritchard say this, the best wrestling cards are like a variety show and there's something for everyone. And that's why these matches, these cruiserweights were so great because they were so much different. 
Yeah. And everything didn't blend together. Now it's like everyone dives, everyone does hardcore style, everyone does everything. And not that, I mean, these guys are so talented, right? I mean, Drew McIntyre is so talented, but in reality, he's doing dives. He's doing the big man stuff. He's doing the hardcore. I mean, he's doing everything. Reigns does everything. I like, I mean, it was fun in this era when it was, it was just these, these extremes were so different. Yeah, and having it. And so it's it just really cool to watch. It was something, too, that like WWF wasn't really doing. And so we had that. So Guerrero had spent most of 1996, the year prior, feuding with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. This was over the United States Championship, which he actually did end up winning. It was December of 1996. He eventually lost it to Dean Malenko. And then he started facing Jericho for the Cruiserweight Championship. So that's how Eddie got into the kind of Cruiserweight scene, um, was losing the belt, having the United States Championship. Something to think about this whole time, too. He was a heel. I'll get there, but he was the heel of heels during all this. So you had Rey Mysterio, though. He made his debut. It was actually midway through that previous year. June 1996 was the Great American Bash. He actually challenged Dean Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, which Malenko did win. So a little bit of back and forth here, though, for Mysterio with some different, um, you know, different people. It was about a month later where he actually did win the cruiserweight belt, held it for a couple of months, lost it again to Malenko, which, again, another super underrated star, Dean Malenko and kind of what he was doing. And so, um, you know, behind the scenes, WWE working for AEW now, it's really cool seeing him on Twitter and kind of some of the things he's saying, like his mind for wrestling is incredible. Like he is just, he's one of the smartest guys out there. So, um, but doing that, so the two of them had some back and forth. You fast forward a little bit um, to a Mysterio feuding with the New World Order. He ended up losing a match to Conan. It was Road Wild in August 1997. So right around that time is when you start getting the Mysterio and Eddie feud. Um, really just because heel and babyface, that was a lot of it too. Um, but again, Eddie being the heel of heels, part of the reason why this match was just, it it got the build it did is because Eddie was constantly kind of putting down the luchador style and like the using of masks and things like that. And really, there's another way that he was being a heel and shitting all over it. And so trying to like defend the honor of the luchadors and the masks is how this became a mask versus title stipulation match. And so, Again, like you have to remember that Eddie at this time, if you didn't watch a lot of his stuff, even if you just kind of go back and watch every few pay-per-views, he was a heel. Like he just, it's one of those, like we were saying, like you've got some guys that are just naturally and inherently good at what they're doing, be it cutting promos on the mic work, being a baby face, being a heel. Eddie was a heel. And like, and that's one way you have to look at it. Mysterio went over in a lot of ways because he was the baby face. He was very good at being that. And so that translated well, though, when you had these two guys where you had Eddie is the heel saying, like, screw luchadors, screw that type of wrestling, and Mysterio really putting, like, his pride on the line in the form of his mask. And so saying, all right, I'm going to put my mask on the line. This is the thing. Now, I'll talk in the aftermath. There was some behind-the-scenes thing of kind of how this played out. But, you know, one thing that the commentary did a really good job, especially, like, you know, we'll hear it a little – or, you know, won't hear it, but if you're listening to it at home or kind of going back and watching it, like, you know, they, they talk about the importance of it and Ray inheriting, you know, that identity kind of passed down from Ray Mysterio Sr. and kind of having all that. So 
um, you know, it's just something to kind of be aware of. And so when we, when we start this one too, something to take a look at when, uh, and we'll see it right when we start of Eddie, or excuse me, Ray's gear, it's phantom theme, which phantom was an old comic that started in the thirties, forties. It was a really, really bad movie in the nineties. Did you know all this or you knew it from your research? I knew the phantom movie, but then I started digging into, and I knew the look, but then I started, I did not realize it was based on a comic that was long thing. And so, um, I didn't, so I knew part of it. So, but his gear is phantom themed and you'll notice that, um, and so he wouldn't be unmasked. Like it kind of, it all went together. Like the whole outfit went together and he had it so that it was, it wasn't just a mask that could be pulled off real easy. It was a little bit different. So, uh, that's one thing, you know, kind of that, that is how high in high regard, like the mask is held. And, you know, we know that it's just how it is, you know, it doesn't change. So, um, and, and, you know, something Eddie just, you know, we'll see too, coming out to the ring, the fan just being the heel, booing the shit out of him. Eddie sucks, all that different stuff. So uh, in regards to like what was on the line for this one and the stipulation, very big things, a lot of good stuff happening there. Um, and, you know, and it's in regards, and we'll see it shortly here. I know I have not watched the full match. I know you haven't watched the full match. We've caught just the little bits of it over the years or kind of doing our research. But um, this is one, though, that, you know, the build to it, while not very long, there was a lot on the line. Yeah, we'll talk more about this. But I what I loved about the cruiserweights in WCW at this time was they also gave them really good undercard storylines as well. It wasn't just these spot fest matches. But if you watch Nitro there was always a really good build to all this stuff, like the stuff with Malenko and Jericho and these two and all these guys was great. So if you want to watch it with us, Halloween Havoc 97 worth the 29 minute mark. Mysterio is walking into the ring right now in his gear, which was phenomenal, Jeff. Um, But 29 minute mark, Halloween Havoc 1997. It is time for the payoff. It's time for the payoff. All right, dude, Mysterio coming out. We got the pyro. We got this badass uh, outfit. What do you think of the Halloween Havoc set in the background there? We've said it before. We miss the individualized pay-per-view setups. Badass. It wouldn't be that difficult. And part of it is because WWF, you know, can't have a pay-per-view that goes longer than, you know, just a couple, you know, one or two times, like Great Balls of Fire, bring it back. But, you know, why not, you know, like, it's just, it's such a basic setup, but it's so cool looking, like with the, the face and just a couple of tombstones, like it's great stuff. I love this Eddie Guerrero look at this time. Just, uh, he had like the greased up mullet. He was ripped to freaking shreds, uh, carrying the belt, like a arrogant heel walking a little bit slower. Just awesome shit, man. Awesome. It's showing. And I love that. I think that's such a little thing that a heel can do is just disrespecting the belt. Like he's not wearing the belt. He had it the back. He had it draped over his shoulder, but the, the front of the belt was at his back. So you can't see it other than a little bit of the strap. I, I, you know, and I know uh, like Naito in new Japan and, you know, just absolutely destroying the IWGP or, you know, his uh, title belt, um, you know, just ways to do it. I think it's just so good. Yeah. Hey, I really like these like old school, like guardrails too, just because it feels like the fans are closer and you can kind of see them more. They're not behind like a solid black barricade. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. We've talked about it before. It's just a cool look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get why now like the padding and they use it a lot more. Uh, Ray giving a, ma- a second mask that he had uh, to a kid in the front row, which is kind of cool. Uh, they had it draped over his neck as he was getting into the ring. You'll see on some of these shots when they show the whole building, just there aren't like a bunch of suites and stuff. It's just people, you know, it's just 12,000 people. You've been in there before? Yeah. So I went to the double or nothing um, pay-per-view, AEW. I was on the floor. That's right. Yeah. I mean, just great seats. Just, you know, I mean, how can you not have fun going to a wrestling show in Vegas? You're sitting there. It doesn't look like a drinking and gambling all day. Walk into a, you know, walk into a show, get three hours of just badass wrestling. I mean, you know, Dustin and and Cody was awesome that night. You know, Mox comes out at the end. It's great. It doesn't look like there's much of a floor. It looks like it gets right up on the incline pretty quick. Yeah. 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 So right out we of are, the gate. We are across from the entrance is where I sat. So yeah, I have the gate just flying around here. So Ray, or Eddie talking shit to Ray right out of the gate. And then right out of the bat, just some high-flying stuff, bunch of different moves. We're out on the outside now. Ray uh, kind of pushing Eddie out to the outside. So... Oh, flipping over the top. Yikes. Oh, the other thing that's nice about those guardrails too is they actually slide when you hit them. I mean, it just looks far more believable. I bet you those new ones hurt more, but they look like they're cushioned, you know? That looks yeah, like it's painful. It gives it has a little bit of give, but it's still gotta hurt like hell. Oof, rough. Yeah. All right. You know what else we need to cover at some point is some of the stuff that these guys like some of the, the Guerrero stuff and, and Benoit stuff in uh ECW, you know, when they work some matches and yeah, there were some there were some great matches there too. Get that. So, um, one of the things that's so great about these guys and, and a lot of guys in this generation is they worked all over the world. So, like you look at Eddie Guerrero's found, it's like, man, you got like the Lucha Libra, but you got some of the stiff Japan stuff. I mean, you just it's just such a great style. Again, it's not this like bring them into the performance center and teach them the WWF style. It's just. I mean, these guys are, are worldwide wrestlers and their repertoire is far more sophisticated. It's just so much better. So uh, Eddie would have been 30 when this- At this point? Happened. Okay. Yes. And so- Right. Um, I mean, arguably in his prime, arguably right before his prime, who knows? But I mean, he was just in phenomenal shape. Um, and- Oh! And Ray would have been about 22, 23. Oh, wow. Yeah, if we were to think now, like, you know, how long they've been in the business versus kind of what they're doing. So, hadn't really slowed down here. Like, they're just, they're still kind of moving, Ray selling a little bit here, just being down. But yeah, and you talked about this in the build, and, and I had mentioned this as well a few minutes ago. But it's just what I love about these cruiserweights is there's a couple of points I want to make here. Number one is they always had great storylines, there was just some awesome stuff. So, it wasn't just, okay, there's these two no-name high flyers. And WWF tried that with their lightweight division. But it's like, if you don't care about the characters, and there's no you know reason for them to be wrestling, but it's just tough to get into it. But when you have it where, hey, we're at this point now where this guy's putting his mask on the line, this is a really big deal. So it's you get these great wrestlers, but then you also give them some somewhat believable and interesting storylines. I just feel like it's a killer combination. You know, I think about like the Malenko thing with Jarek. I mean, there was just some great feuds uh, that these WCW cruiserweights had. And I just think now, 
Um, and, and I'll give you an example, not that I love the storyline, but at least it's something like this Otis and Mandy thing that they're doing on um, SmackDown. My point to this being is that I love this era of wrestling where everyone has storyline. That was always Vince Russo's motto, right? Like everyone should be involved in a storyline at all times. And that's what I like about it is it doesn't mean everything's great. doesn't mean that you love everything, but there's at least reasons for everyone to be wrestling. How often now, you know, Raw, SmackDown, we get to a pay-per-view and, oh, these two guys, you know, bumped into each other and catering. And so they're having a match, right? Versus, well, the reason this guy wants this guy's match is for this reason. The reason his hair is at stake is be, and it just makes sense, right? And we don't have enough of that now just because they're just trying to produce so much television. But back in this era, man, everyone had a reason for wrestling. And I, and I love that. I, I'm con- Otis and Mandy are actually dating as far as I'm concerned. You can't convince me of that otherwise. So <laughs> good for him. Like, so we're seeing throughout this match too. And Eddie's done it a couple of times. Where I think it's just a fantastic heel move is trying to, he's like gripping Ray through the eyes of the mask. And so trying to pull it off a little bit, another great heel move here, holding Ray down both hands on the mat and then kind of holding it up, but then pulling him up as well too. Just a great, you just don't see that as much anymore. Like it's so good of Eddie pulling him up so that he can still continue to wrestle with him and he doesn't get the three count on himself. Like just, just, just such great little things here. I didn't realize Mysterio was doing like the theme co- uh, themed outfits all the way back then. Oh, yeah. that was awesome. So that was a kind of a springboard up to the top rope and then really kind of like a hurricane Rana or DDT. Well, you got, he was like, yeah, it was like a tornado DDT, but he hit him like straight on off the rope. That was phenomenal. Ooh. Was hard I mean, to- you're, you're seeing stuff in this match that I haven't seen since. I mean, like, it's not just that it was innovative at the time. It's still just, and I think that's the thing is like so much of these things, like why, like, you know, why don't we see some of this stuff? Like we, we, we hear about these wrestlers, like, you know, and, and us too, like idolizing some of these people and, you know, having the skill to do some of this stuff. Like, you know, it, it, it's not as, you know, something like, you know, what was it? Sasha and the belt, you know, like Eddie kind of tossing the belt to fake that he had, you know, he had been the one hit, not, you know, vice versa. Um, or he, you know, or, you know, getting, doing the hit, you know, whatever it is, but, um, you know, that type of stuff, like you could do more, like some of these moves in the ring, we just, some of that stuff can be done too. So so Eddie too, doing a good job of, you know, while he is a high flyer in a lot of ways. Hey, going for that mask again. Oh, he's got, he's got a big tear on the mask now. Which is just fantastic, and so. Wow, I didn't realize so you, he ripped it. So you can see a little bit of Ray's hair now, because Eddie's kind of ripped the eye hole open to about double, maybe triple the size of what it should be. Um, it kind of slowing him down. I think too, this match makes sense because Ray. Everyone knew like how fast Ray was, how you know all the high flying moves he could do, and Eddie really doing some submission work here to him and kind of keeping him down on the mat, kind of doing some different things to kind of prevent him. Here's, here's again, it's just some, some kind of, you know, rest holds in a lot of ways, but some kind of, you know, holds and things like that and submission moves to kind of lock him up. Ray just so quick right now, just kind of moving, but Eddie sidestepping him like so good. 
this was to you and I, because last time we did the Eddie match, uh, Vicky Guerrero joined us, which go back, listen to that one. Again, it's one of our, our highest rated matches. People love that one. Um, but to like you and I kind of sit here and uh, just kind of watching Eddie do what he does. Like he, even I think he's still, he's just so underrated. Like, he's loved, but at the same time, and again, right back to a submission hold, kind of doing the, the abdominal stretch on Ray, which is a so, great move. So one of the things that always, you know, improves my rankings of certain guys is their ability to be an incredible heel and baby face. Uh, Eddie Guerrero is an incredible heel. We know that, right? We also know that he was super over as a baby face, you know, um, when he beat Lesnar and, and, you know, during that run. There's not, not every guy can do that. I mean, some of the guys that come off the top of my head, you know, Randy Savage was an awesome heel, awesome baby face. Hulk Hogan, I mean, he was one of the best heels of all time and arguably the biggest baby face of all time, right? Um, Shawn Michaels, I think, did it really well. Uh, who are some other guys? Anybody else that comes to mind for you? You know, Guerrero, obviously, one of them. Like, Mysterio couldn't be a heel. I mean, no chance, right? Like, who else do you think was just an incredible baby face and heel? They can kind of walk the line between both. Yeah. I mean, rock. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Depending on when you're looking at them. I think oddly enough, like, um, God, I'm trying to think like more recent guys. Like uh, I think like Charlotte's a better heel than face. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah right. I don't think she's a great face. I don't think no, her father was a great face either. Right. And there's just some that like inherently you don't want. It's like Bailey. I don't think Bailey's a good heel. Like, like, yeah, it's like, it's like, wait a second. You're a nice person trying to be mean, right? Like, I don't think you're, I don't believe he's the heel. Right. After as long as, oh, um, hanging Ray up in the corner after, uh, whipping him across. Yeah. I, I nobody like yeah, you listed off some good ones there. It's tough to, you know, under like, just kind of think about who was some of those people that kind of walked the lines between both. But I mean, you could, that, say, you could say Taker was a really good heel when he was a heel. Right. Ooh, you know, like. And, any yeah. baseball slide, but missed and wrapped around the ring post there. Slim Jim's um, your sponsor, obviously through Savage Man. And that a was too on, you did, on wrestling advertising. You did not say it, but yeah. So the ring, uh, the corners of the ring, as well as the oh, uh, this. the side post. Wow, flying Big high dive. Off the top turnbuckle over uh, the turnbuckle too. I just I love that. I love when people do that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I. I mean, why not? Like the Slim Jim's on the post. I mean, it's great, man. Like, why the, not? The tagline you didn't say it is "snap into the madness." So, like, I'm all for that product placement because even the corner pads are yellow too. So, which is good. Um, it's actually amazing. Like, for as much as Vince obviously likes to make money, that you don't see more advertising like in the ring. I mean, there's Slim Jim on all four corners too. On all four corners, yeah. Well, it's in like the ring and on the post. One, two. <laughs> Nope, two. Ray out of nowhere getting a quick uh, package, uh, to, small package rolling up an Eddie. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah that's a Snickers. Snickers is always the running joke in uh, WWE and uh, Pete Zacharine in the commercial. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, just ridiculous stuff. But yeah, I think that that's one. Um, Ray, again. Oh, well, head scissors gets uh, Guerrero on the outside. That wasn't too bad, yeah. I know this wasn't the first match of the show, but I, I do love, you know, those cruiserweights kicking off a Nitro or kicking off a pay-per-view. It's just awesome way to start. Um, yeah, and I think uh, last time... Whoa! whoa that was an over-the-top Hurricane ah! Rana. Scissors on the, on the floor. Wow, I've never seen that. Dives over, flips over, catches him in a Hurricane Rana to the outside. That was phenomenal. 
Seven but again, but here's what's great about this match is it's not a spot fest. It's like that psychologically, this all fits, right? Like Guerrero's being the heel, he's wearing him down a little bit. This just this works really well. Yeah, and that's and you and I talk about it like so many times, like the spot fest just oh, that was like a corkscrew like <laughs> twist. Uh, it, covered. One, two, yes. That was fantastic. That did, it looks sloppy, but it made perfect sense, like you said, in the context. Some of this of stuff should look sloppy. It shouldn't all look like a, a gymnastics 10 landing. Like some of that shit that you see now in AEW, it's just, it, it looks like a, a gymnast versus like someone in a fight that, you know, I, again, I, I just, I like it being a little raw. Yeah. And I think that's how it should be. No pun intended there. Um, Oh, Eddie getting the knees up. Um, yeah, it's just one of those where I, I agree with you. And I think that, and there's so many times, oh, huge power bomb, Ray just taking the beating. Um, where, you know, and you and I say it, and I think AEW, especially in those first weeks, and they're still bad about it too, like they're, you're, they're just waiting around to do a move. And it just doesn't look right. You know, it's just like, okay, they're standing there. You know what's coming. Like, I get it. You know, it's got a little bit more of an indie feel to it too. But it's it takes me out of it so many times. Where this, it's just, you almost want it. Like, not injuring anybody to, you know, like Nia Jax style or anything. But like, you know, it, it should look sloppy. Like, these guys, like, you know, it's it's fun to watch it this way. Where are you on Nia Jax? Do you think she's like a, a harmful to the business or do you think like people are overreacting? I think she needs to, uh, the evidence is there. I think that she is hurting people. So um, I just don't think that like, and I get it. Like she, I don't think she recognizes her own strength. And so, Ooh, that just looked like weird backbreaker there, but again, looks sloppy as hell, but it should. Yeah. I don't think she should be in the ring. Uh, like, There's a difference between working stiff and working dangerous, and she's working dangerous. Lesnar's stiff, but he didn't, you know, he's not dropping people on their neck. Right, exactly. And she's like legit injuring people. Like, you know, and, and it doesn't even like, look good. It's just like, oh, yeah, you messed up and you're hurting. Oh, oh, that was interesting. Yeah. But you, you know uh, what I'm saying? Like, there's a, like, it's okay yep. to be stiff. It's just, you can't, I mean, it's like Goldberg. He hurt people. Yeah. Still, Lesnar's just right. stiff. Yeah. And like, but unless they're smart enough to know when not to hurt somebody, but I think you're, that was you're, you're hurting people and you're doing it in a way that doesn't even look good. So he's got, Guerrero's got him up in like a razor's edge. Oh, Oh, oh got it. Flipped him off the top rope and got him down. Yeah. What do I, I don't, I, she doesn't belong there. Plain and simple. I, I think that, you know, and then champion you know, she, keeps his mask. Granted, she gave us one of the greatest moments ever with uh, Becky and the bloody nose. But like, you know, without her, she wouldn't have gotten Becky over. But I, yeah, she just, she doesn't belong out there. So Mysterio is your champion. Hell of a match. <laughs> oh, Guerrero attacking him afterwards. He should have done that. I know you're celebrating, but you should never do that to Eddie Guerrero. And now Mysterio's being born. And his head extended the ring. I mean, at the right at the right moment, nothing wrong with uh, having someone get a little bit of their heat back. So right, Guerrero loses the title. It played out like it should, like Eddie not happy, and so he realized too that there wasn't a single replay in that match. They never really showed it. Yeah, it now like they're, they're now they're showing the highlights. But yeah, they're showing a little bit now. Well, this was great. Yeah. 
kind of happened awesome. to catch him while he was going down insane. So boom, Razor's Edge kind of moved, turned into a They loved it. As it should be. And Ray keeps the mask. Good stuff. Yep. Oh man, I'll tell you what. You know what? Now, Jeff, I enjoyed this, but I need Meltzer to tell me if it was a good match or not. Because it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what we're told to think, right? Well, I, I, this is this is the problem, man. Too many people, it's like people, people like watch the you know the boneyard match at WrestleMania and have to like go on Twitter and, and, and be told if they liked it or not. Oh, it was a good match. You know, it's like make up your own damn mind. So, all right, let's, uh, let's transition right now. Let's get into the aftermath. Oh, it's time for the aftermath. All right. Aftermath, Jeff, what do you have for us? So a uh, few things here, of course, you've got uh, Mysterio getting the W, getting the one, two, three, kind of uh, soaking it up for the camera, if you will, kind of celebrating with the belt. And like we saw Guerrero attacking him from behind and then Guerrero staying in the ring, taking his view, bu- taking the booze, kind of, you know, living it up in that. And so uh, the two would really continue to feud for a couple weeks here. Um, again, like this match fell on October 26, 1997. Uh, it wasn't that long after this it was october 10th it was an episode of nitro where he actually lost the title back to guerrero um they had a rematch at that world war three that we were talking about which mysterio also lost that one so just a lot of you know these two kind of kept feuding for a little bit um but then after that mysterio um feuded with jericho for a while uh, left to get knee surgery he came back that summer and he beat or 1998 ray did and then ended up beating jericho for the strap and so again you got eddie jericho malenko ray like these big ultimo names. dragon psychosis yeah. uh, i mean god they were just Six so back. good yeah, all these they were so good, good. So you've got all that kind of happening. And so Eddie, though, and not really sure here. I, I saw mixed things. You know, Bischoff has said one thing. You know, we'll never know Eddie's side of this stuff and the behind the scenes. That there's always some, some shoot, not a shoot feuding between Bischoff and Eddie with um, Eddie not being happy with kind of how the booking was happening, which, you know, I tend to believe after, you know, all the, the shit booking that we are not shit booking, but the degree to which, you know, certain people were being booked over others. I can understand why some people would have been unhappy. And so, um, but again, with the few with a and ready a, wow, can't talk Ray and Eddie, uh, led to Latino world order. If you remember that one is pretty much every yeah. Or in the promotion, except for Ray, which was, you know, leading to feuds on that one too. Um, you know, back and forth, kind of keep going, happening. Eventually, that you know they, you know, were a part of a stable again. If you're the the next stable again, why we don't have more stables, I'll never know. But the other one was the Filthy Animals, another stable, kind of some rotating people on that one. But the uh, right out of the gate, you had Conan, Ray Mysterio, Billy Kidman, Eddie Guerrero, and their valet manager, the uh, lovely Tori Wilson. So, um, you know, just interesting, you know, and kind of back and forth with all that for quite a bit. And so um, <clears throat> just exciting to kind of see how that, you know, played out. It kept feuding, kept wrestling, 
you know, it was all mid card and under card stuff, but I don't think that should take away from like the quality of things that they were doing. Um, Ray eventually did lose his mask uh, about a year later, which there was some, you know, back and forth between that as well too, but that's a story for a different time. And so just kind of things happening. Tom, what other thoughts do you have on the aftermath? Man, I, I just, I really like this. Um, I, what I like about this is these guys had characters, they had storylines. Um, I forgot just how much time they put into this. So it wasn't, all right, you're small, you're small, go out and do some dives and kill 10 minutes. And so that match, I mean, there were some exciting moves. There were some great spots. There was some stuff that I think even now is still considered innovative, but you're, you're watching it like, Hey, I want the, I want Mysterio to win. You know, Guerrero's an asshole. Um, everything made sense. And there were some great near falls. The fans were into it. Uh, just, just dog it, man. Just, just really good stuff. So I know you're excited. You want to hear uh, what the reviews were. So we'll, we'll jump right into that. And get yeah. Maybe, questions. maybe Meltzer didn't like it. And if so, then I'll change my opinion. Cause he did. So yeah, but, but, I think, yeah. I think this was a universally liked match. So 1997 PWI, you had Ray was 29. Eddie was 24. Oh, wow. I wonder how much of that was because they couldn't push up into the main event, um, not fault of their own, but just kind of how that was happening. So, um, but uh, you know, so the pro, uh, pro wrestling torch Ray jr. And Guerrero had a match that was worth the price of the event all by itself. It was state of the art junior style wrestling with one great, Oh my God, move after another. Mm-hmm. I could watch these two for a long time and not get bored. The ending made it better. Uh, the, the ending made it even better since wiser heads must have prevailed and Ray Jr. kept the hood four and a quarter stars, which I'll talk about the, the, the you know, the heads and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the wiser heads. So, um, cause there were some behind the scenes with that, uh, the wrestling observer newsletter, um, you had, it was the match of the night by just a long shot. There was almost nobody else that got it. So this gets into a little bit of what was happening behind the scenes too. So I'll kind of read through most of it. So, um, the Rey Mysterio Jr. and Eddie Guerrero mask versus Cruiserweight title won by Mysterio Jr. And a finish apparently not finalized until just minutes before the show started was arguably the single best match on a WCW pay-per-view show dating back more than six years to the prime of Ric Flair in February of 1991 War Games. Because of sentimental and memorable reasons, some may compare it to Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman match in 1992. But the match was clearly due to the sport advancing over five years of a higher quality if both were judged by the same standards. This is absolutely a better match. Yep. Yep. And so, but I, absolutely the comparison, especially after you and I, like you can absolutely see it too. So, so Ray Mysterio Jr. pinned Eddie Guerrero in 1351 to retain the mask and win the Cruiserweight title. Not exactly what sure went down in the closing minutes to get the finish changed. Mysterio Jr. was adamant and vocal about not losing his mask for the very reasons that were brought up in a video piece that was actually put together with the express idea of building up to his losing the mask. At one point, a few days before the match, Eric Bischoff personally called Mysterio Jr. and told him that if he didn't lose the match, that it would uh, that it would consider a contract be- breach and he'd be both fired and even threatened with a lawsuit and you can imagine considering how popular Ramos Jr. Mysterio Jr. is with nearly everyone in the company how that went over 
No doubt both sides agreed to a compromise in the end. Based on sketchy details from a variety of sources, Guerrero was still going over one hour before the show went on the air. But over the next half hour to 45 minutes, Mysterio Jr. and Bischoff met, probably with Mysterio Jr.'s agent, and they probably apparently came up with a face-saving compromise. Apparently, Mysterio Jr. agreed to lose the match, but at that point, Bischoff agreed to change the finish. In the days preceding the event, there was a lot of speculation that Bischoff would change the finish, provided Mysterio Jr. would lose his mask somewhere in the future, but I'm not sure if that's what ended up being agreed to in the meeting. This was as good a modern pro wrestling can get with innovative moves, flawless execution, and incredible psychology, drama, and very good announcing all wrapped up into one package. The only thing that would keep me from listing this match of the year is that it wasn't long enough to be ranked ahead of some of the best 20-minute matches, four and three-quarter stars. Wow. Okay. Thoughts? I'll let you start. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting because if you gave these guys, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but it's like if you gave these guys another five to ten minutes, would it have been a five-star match or is the beauty of this thing that it's just a 13-minute quick hard hitter? I'm going to say that if they had another 10 minutes of this, it would have been five stars. I, 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 again, I, I love that. I, it's nice sometimes to watch a match and go, okay, this is going to take less than 15 minutes. You know, um, with all due respect to your Undertaker, Shawn Michaels match, I mean, with entrances, it's a goddamn hour, right? So it's yeah. nice sometimes to be like, hey, it's really great seeing a 13-minute boom, 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 awesome match. You know, I don't need to, like, take a bathroom break. Um, that being said, I do think that maybe this thing, if it, if it had 10 more minutes, might have been a five-star. But I, I like it. The only matches that he ranked higher that year, you had a couple New Japan matches, which no surprise there. You already called the one, the Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, and the Hell in a Cell match. The other one that he gave uh, ranked higher than this one, it was the Bret Hart, Steve Austin submission match, Mania 13. Wow. So, again, I, I love it. I, it's, it you, you wonder if, if they had another 10 minutes, could they have made this a five-star match possibly? So I'll give my payoff score. Um, Gosh, it, it's really good. Um, I wouldn't say that the build or the aftermath is all-time classic level. I'd say the actual match is really good. Um, great, you know. Uh, maybe it could have used another 10 minutes, but I also love that it was just boom, boom, boom. Uh, I got this thing overall, all things considered, at an eight. Okay. And, and if anything, I lean higher, but I'm going to say eight. What about you? I'm going to go a nine. Um, I thought, I thought this was, again, I'm with you. I think that probably the only reason I ding it is because the build wasn't great. I mean, the stipulation was great, but the build itself wasn't great. And so not, not great. It just wasn't, uh, you know, what I would hope for. So, um, but I think everything too, and, and this really was, I, I, I'll say the start of their like career feuding, like that these guys just kind of kept going. There was more matches. There's more things happening. They kept putting on just fantastic matches. They kept doing these types of things. And so, um, you know, I think because of that, and then like you said, well, and it's hard because like by today's standards, it wasn't, like you know out of this world 
you know, moves and kind of what was happening. But if at that time, and you got to, you have to transport yourself to then and what, what was happening, it was really good. And so um, he was actually in another, a couple different, uh, very high ranked matches the following year as well too. Um, and so Ray only kept doing what he was doing. So, um, which I think is just great. And so that, you know, that's just kind of good to see. And, you know, the, the careers, it never stopped. And so, yeah, yeah I'm going to give this one a nine. Oh, so we both liked it a lot. Really good stuff. Um, it's just, it's interesting to see what happened. I mean, would you, you know, can you imagine in 97, if somebody would have said to you, okay, these are both going to be future world champion WrestleMania headliners for Vince. You'd be like bullshit, right? Yeah, like no way. you would have yeah. never believed it ever. Now, would you have said they deserve it? Sure. I mean, would you have been thrilled to hear that? Yeah. But if you would have said, "Hey, these guys are going to be Vince's like world champions uh, at WrestleMania at some point," there's going to be a WrestleMania build around Ray winning the the, the WWF WWE World Championship. Bullshit. The Royal Rumble, like oh, all yeah. these. Yeah, like no, you you'd be laughed out of the room. Like no way. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, just crazy, but good stuff. Absolutely. So good match, you know, really, good, really fun stuff to come. Good match, out. really fun episode. I enjoyed this. Yeah. And so the card too, it kind of opened the door a little bit here on the payoff for uh, WCW and some of this stuff that we'll be getting into um, with kind of some future WCW matches. And like we said, it, it ain't going to be all main events because if it was all main events, we'd be talking about a Hogan every week. So uh, we're going to mix it up though. We got some other great ones kind of in the mix, in the mix here that we're going to be doing and uh, just exciting stuff. So uh, I, again, I'll plug it again. If you have not listened to our Vicky Guerrero episode, some of our first episodes, we're talking about Eddie and Brock, go back and listen to those in our archives. Absolutely fantastic. They're ones that you shouldn't miss. Uh, we know Vicky, you know, friend of the show, just absolutely great person, um, you know, doing her own thing now, but absolutely go check that out. Um, listen to those episodes, follow her and all that different stuff. Uh, and of course, just Ray Mysterio. He's on Twitter at Ray Mysterio. Um, so make sure to check that out. And still wrestling. Uh, you got a, um, you know, money in the bank and all these different things. Like, you know, he's out there doing what he does. So, um, always great to see that. So, and of course, Tom said at the start, you know, check us on that social media, just at payoff pod. We're all over the place. So, um, yeah, Tom, uh, any final thoughts here before we send it home? No, great match. Look forward to, uh, covering some more WCW this summer. Lots of, lots of good stuff coming up on the payoff. Lots of other good matches. Thanks for always for listening. For Jeff and Tom, this is another edition of The Payoff.